turn our thoughts to Jesus. Please. <laughs> okay, I'm reading out of uh, Luke 6, uh, 27 to the end of the uh, chapter, out of the CSB version. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what, pre what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that, sorry. Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full, but love your enemies, do what is good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes, or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful, Lord, for, for the sunshine, Lord, and the safety that you give us here. We pray, Lord, that we would be bold for you, hmm. that we would um, love others that, that we disagree with. We would love others that frustrate us. We would love others that uh, we seemingly think are so different than us. We pray, Lord, that you would humble us, that we would um, see others with your eye, Father. Please pour your Holy Spirit into us. Help us to, um, to receive these words today, Lord, and to think of you and to reflect on them, and to think of them not just in the moment, Father, but throughout the week. We pray for Jonathan that um, you would speak through him, Father, that you would give him the words to say. We love you. We ask, Lord, that we put our full faith and confidence in you and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, John. Kingdom living is absurd, but it's good.
So when's the last time you heard, your nearest exit may be behind you, right? That's an appropriate phrase, an announcement as we dive into today's text. So if you don't like what you hear, your closest exit may be behind you or in front of you for everyone who likes to sit in the back. If only we had a bigger back of our church. Uh, Never never mind. (laughs) But uh, it's a phrase when, when we hear it, and some people hear it a lot, like Christian hears it like two, three times a week, and she travels a lot for work. But this phrase comes from one of humanity's favorite things to what? To ignore, right? You, you kind of tune it out, the pre-flight safety demonstration. Now, your, your first time on a flight, you pay attention. You know, when you're traveling with little kids, they'll hush you, and they'll like, hey, little dad, listen, pay attention, Because they want to hear what is being described and what's being said. And the truth is you need to know this information in case of a loss of cabin pressure, right? Or just be prepared to meet the Lord. Oh, that was morbid. I shouldn't have ever (laughs) joked about that. But it it really is serious stuff. And it really can be a matter of life and death, right? When you take the oxygen mask and then help the one next to you with theirs. But the more you fly, the more you believe you have the spiel memorized. Like you could give it, not better than the Southwest flight attendants because they always make it funny, but certainly best, better than the United flight attendants in their little video. Uh, But this three minutes of flight becomes prime time for you to assume that you know the information and just to block it out. If we're honest, we just take a cavalier approach to it. And it's like, it's not that big of a deal. If I want to be safe, I can read the card in the seat back. And it's just so routine. And we just go about our business looking forward to or maybe dreading our destination, like preparing ourselves for where we are headed. And I know it's a little bit of a silly illustration, but I wonder how much that we treat preaching in exactly the same way. And I often ask friends for like a a recount of what they heard in the sermon, like what stood out to you. And I'm often like met with like this blank stare of like, and then take a second. They're like, well, Jesus, Jesus is in it. It was really great. Right. It is. the Well, in this church, it certainly is the right answer. Right. And now my point is not to gripe or guilt you guys about paying attention to sermons because I'm going to preach them whether you pay attention or not. But the values of the church might be the same thing. Do you guys know the values of the church? Have you listened to that or do you block it out like a pre-flight announcement? But instead of griping about those things, I just want us to think about how we actually hear the word. In all of the spaces that we approach it, in all the times that we sit down to open the word or we pull open our YouVersion Bible app to do our New Testament in a year or we're in Bible study or conversation or we see an Instagram post with the scripture. How do we approach that? What do we think we should be doing when that is before us? I think whether we listen may actually be indicated by how we respond to what is presented in preaching, in the word that we have before us. And this is exactly one such sermon that Jesus is giving. This is the sermon on the plain. This is something that we assume we 
No. And he even starts off this section of the sermon saying it's for those that would listen. It's for those that would follow him. This is for those that are of the kingdom that he has come to proclaim and bring forth into history. And Jesus is laying out in the totality of this sermon who his kingdom belongs to. That's what we talked about last week. And it might actually surprise some of us who gets to be part of the kingdom. And now he describes how citizens of his kingdom are supposed to live. Vital information. Once you know you're in, now you are told how you go about life. And this is kind of a pivot in his sermon from who you are to how you are. We know the audience is made up of the 12 apostles, the disciples that follow him most closely. And then there's another layer of other disciples that have answered the call to follow him and to be about his teaching. And then it still has a larger crowd on the plane, those who just came out to witness the miraculous, the things that Jesus was doing and to be healed, or just those that wanted to hear this new way of teaching. And their eagerness to listen probably diminished the further away they got from Jesus. After all, he had just rallied the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and he elevated those characters above the rich and the full. So depending on who you were, you may start to block out this preacher and what he had to say for you. So some ears would turn off at that point. Like they'd heard it all before, but didn't have time for it now. Jesus starts, I say to you who listen. And then he lays out the ethic of the kingdom. It's the same truths that we dove far deeper into as we studied the Sermon on the Mount last year. And to be honest, what he gives us is a lot. This is not easy living in the least. And to the average Joe, this way of living would be something of maybe even uh, an unreasonable reality. Like, how can you possibly live this way? And as we try to be honest, it, it seems like this way of living might even be a little absurd in our day. Like, how should you react to people? How should you treat people? And this is what Jesus gives us. So even those of us who know better, who've heard this talk before, it can seem like it's a little much. But it is the way of Jesus. And it's good. This morning I want to just point out that it's otherworldly love, mercy, and resilience. These are things that we receive and that we want to give to others. And then a way of life that we just want to exist in. And it starts with this absurd love. Now I was going to call this reckless love. But I knew that if I did, some of you would email me. And uh, really, the jokes are not going over. They never do. Just uh, play that on Spotify. Reckless Love. Great song. But So Jesus so far in his ministry has shown how the kingdom that he is bringing, it, it completes the, the previous order, but it goes a step further. It goes a little bit beyond what had come before. And he's already taken on the mantle of forgiveness for himself, right? We've seen that. Like only God for, can forgive. And here he is in the synagogue forgiving people. His disciples are freed from the restrictions around the Sabbath. And he says the Son of Man is actually the Lord of the Sabbath. And he goes on preaching, essentially saying, you have heard it say, 
they said, but I say. So there's a a new authority unfolding as Jesus does his ministry. And all of it, though, is built on what the people were supposed to know already. It goes all the way back to the law given in Leviticus. And I want to read a a good chunk of Leviticus for you, because who doesn't need more Leviticus in their lives? Right, we get this from Leviticus 19. This is something that the people should have known by heart, those that were Jews that wanted teaching of a rabbi. And it says, do not steal. Do not act deceptively or lie to one another. Do not swear falsely by name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but you are to fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of it. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the foundation of life before God. This is how his people were supposed to live. It's that love God and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the ultimate things. And that's all foundational and assumed. And friends, it's just like the pre-flight instructions. And Jesus now tells us that his kingdom actually goes way further than that. Because even that assumed and foundational way of life seems like a lot, but then Jesus takes it in this moment beyond, and he says, love your enemies. Do good to the haters. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you, those who try to harm you. And so love is no longer reserved for the realm of just self and neighbor. It extends further. It goes Uh, way beyond it, not just even to your acquaintances. It extends to your enemies, those out to get you, to keep you down, those that attack you, who take and take from you. Like That's a whole different vibe. And we are not inclined naturally to love even the people around us. We're not even inclined to love those closest to us, but we are called here by Christ to love our enemies if we're going to be citizens of the kingdom. It makes me think of the clip from the last couple of weeks where Ukrainian women are giving tea and food to a Russian soldier. Have you seen that one? It's loving your enemies, serving those who are trying, who are trying to kill you. And love here, we have to understand, church, is more than just a cordial kindness that's extended to other people. You should, in fact, be kind. Like, like, duh, right? But kindness is not our ultimate goal. It is love. It's not even an outward-facing expression in the public, like you're just nice to everybody. It is sacrificial life for others. Giving of yourself. I hate preaching on texts like this. And I told Stacy, I usually write the sermon on Tuesday after studying on Monday. And Tuesday morning and taking the kids to school. 
Man, the opportunities to live this out. And I, you should know that's not my first impulse. I have whole categories of people and how they drive, and it is not pretty. But they've done it. So, But Jesus says that I'm far beyond kindness. To love those people, yield the right of way. I won't even go into it. But while studying this week, I had to chuckle and I was moving from chuckle to angry, like scowl on my face because there's just a number of commentators that will study this text. And you you probably have commentaries at home or online that you can find. And they attempt to make Jesus's words more appealing to those who don't want to love. And if you ever read anything that is trying to ratchet down the love Jesus is calling you to or the love that he gives you, like run from that garbage. Right. And there's uh, different ones. Like, Perhaps Jesus was exaggerating to prove his point here. That's how theologians in academia sound, by the way. And it was almost in reading one. It was like they almost like, did he really say? And it's like, that is crazy. But here's the answer to that question. He did really say. This is what he calls us to and his life and ministry bear it out. This is what he goes on preaching, and it's more than just a metaphorical love, right? But he makes it a whole posture of life. He says, offer the, if somebody slugs you on the cheek, offer him the other one to get another hit, right? When someone takes your coat, give them the shirt off your back. Jordan Peterson is not writing this in his 12 steps to crazy or whatever. Some of you haven't read him. Don't worry about it. You don't need to. It lend without expectation of return, right? Like even at the church, we're like, well, I'll give that person a loan and I'm only going to charge them 1% interest. It's crazy. It says if like, and like what we're called to is this, this sort of life that like John Zoll needs, John Zoll needs a Sawzall. We'll make it rhyme. And I have a Sawzall, so I loan it to John, but I totally forget about it, not because I'm spacey, but because I don't care. And then eventually I need a Sawzall, and I start asking my friends, and he gives me mine back. And that's, that's what we're called to, like that way, like, I'm not even mad that he, he had it, but I've loaned it without expectation of return. Or maybe it means I'm supposed to buy two Sawzalls when I buy mine, because I know I'm going to give one away. And of course, we take this way of life alongside the totality of scripture, other principles in scripture, but these truths, what Jesus is putting before us are never negated. They always remain. This is what you're called. If you are a Christian, this is supposed to be your life. This is how you are supposed to live in love. And the way of love is so far beyond us. It's confounding. Our churches, we don't even preach this. You know? It's, we want to be lions, not sheep. As the bumper sticker said, I was tailgating this morning. I almost tried to pull him over. I want to be a sheep, not a lion. I mean, that's the biblical way, right? And the biblical way is to live like this. Loving our enemies. Giving of ourselves. Lending. Take on insult and mistreatment. Give yourself away for others. Kiss the wave that sends you crashing into the rock of ages. And the truth be told, this is going to ruin your schedule. 
This is going to mess with your five-year plan. It is going to dethrone you and may bring into you into service of others who you rightfully believe would never deserve it. But it's actually good. Because it's not about earning entrance into a kingdom. He's saying you are in the kingdom and now you live this way. And it's actually the best life now. Charles Spurgeon used to say that to feed a hungry soul with the bread of heaven is far higher deed than to eat the fat and drink the sweet ourselves. There's more plunging our arm up to the elbow in the mire to find a jewel for Christ than in washing one's idle hands with the scented soap of respectable propriety. Right. When we read this, we hear Jesus preaching this, or we hear our local pastor recite these words from Christ and We just think it seems too much. It's absurd. As we live in this cultural soup in our own hearts, we're just so inclined to get ours at the expense of others. Or we just think that maybe we can live behind our preference just to avoid our enemy or avoid our neighbor so that we don't have to extend this type of love. But his kingdom is different. We don't live for the ways of lending, for loving, for doing good, for return. Jesus even says even sinners do that. But we live out of principle, out of our identity as those that are part of the kingdom. And it is an absurd all in love. Jesus says just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. This rule is golden for a reason because it's good who, who doesn't want to be loved by, like that? Loved in this way. To have someone sacrificially serving us. Not to get, but to give. We'd all sign up for that kind of love. It's a deliberate love rooted in the will. It is a love by choice. One writer says that love, or agape is the word here, is a deep, continuous, growing, and ever-renewing activity of the will superintended by the Holy Spirit. Agape love says, I will love this person because by God's grace I choose to love this person. Now you get to choose to love your enemies because Jesus has invited you into that. And those who follow Jesus, they act as God acts. They will therefore follow not merely the call of duty, but the call of love. They will seek to do it not simply because it is right, but because it is good. And they will act in this way, not only towards those who deserve it, but also towards those who do not. Such open-heartedness, one pastor writes, does not in fact go unrewarded, but the very essence of it is that... That must never be their motive for practicing it. So you have an open-heartedness just because of what you've received, not to gain something. So we just get on with loving. This is what we're called to do. But Jesus doesn't stop just with love. Because then he tells us that we're also to live with this absurd mercy. He says in verse 36, Be merciful just as your Father also is merciful and so this is to be our disposition of life our posture of life recognizing how our actions are actually tied to what we receive don't judge or you'll be judged don't condemn instead forgive be generous 
And, and we can have discernment in these things. We don't need to neglect the reality of life and death, light and darkness. But even if we get halfway to what Jesus is describing, describing here, what a difference that would be. How astounding would that be to our neighbors to see us living even partially what Jesus is calling us to? You think of what is the church known for? We, we know the right answers. You know, Jesus, right? The church is known for, for Jesus. But we know even biblically that it, it, it's a community that are those that are called out. We know what we're supposed to be known for. But we also know far too often the negatives that would be the answer to the question in our culture of what the church is known for. Judgment. Condemnation. And imagine, just for a second, if the church in our day was known for forgiveness and generosity. Because it's supposed to. This is what Jesus has called us to as a people. This is how you recognize the difference in kingdom citizens, because they're living this life. The measure you use it will be measured back to you, extending mercy when it's uncomfortable. This is being caught with tax collectors and sinners. This is us, not combative and condemning, but gracious in interactions in our day. Quick to be merciful, to be forgiving. And when you take this seriously, you will be faced with plenty of opportunities to do this very thing. You'll start to recognize more and more people who don't deserve mercy, but should be given it because of what you've received. Part of this unearthly mercy then for us is self-awareness. Looking at the splinter in your brother's eye without recognizing the beam in your own eye. Like that, that's a, that's a no-go. It's not a call never to help the brother and sister with a splinter, but it's a call for us to be aggressive with our own beams so that we can extend mercy. Because we realize what we've been given. That's the the fruit that we're meant to produce. Citizens of the kingdom produce fruit according to this call by Jesus. Each tree is known by its own fruit. And he says our fruit is an absurd love and an absurd mercy that's paired with an absurd resilience. And kingdom living seems hard. It will take all you've got, but we want the reward. We want our lives to be what Jesus describes of those who live in this way. And did you notice that he says, I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug a deep, dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against it in the house, crashed against the house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. The truth is how you live matters. It is what braces you for when the storms of life come and hit you. The well-built house is a well-built life. And we know, we know people. We've seen examples in our own lives of people that reveal this, that are anchored, they're secure, they're resilient. I think of from a historical and hymnody perspective of Horatio Spafford, right? You know this story? He loses his spouse and a couple kids to an accident at sea. He faces tragedy and still he gives us words to sing. 
Peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Those that listen, that live in absurd love and mercy, they get this resilience. It's, it's what flows from this life. It is a steadiness. And the person who hears these calls, this ethical way of life, and does not obey, Jesus says is just utterly foolish. The person who hears and obeys will be, though, secure on the day of judgment as the person who takes care to build a house with a strong foundation on the rock. And that then forms for us all of life. It can get us through the lack of sleep as we raise children. It can get us through the tensions at work when our, our boss is technically our enemy. It can get us through those places where it feels like sacrifices ourself is just too much. And the illustration of building a solid foundation versus building without a foundation points for us to the necessity of disciples of Christ in our behavior that it should be consistent with his stated commitment here. We should match this. And the difference between a life that can withstand storms and the one that cannot depends not just on whether one comes to Christ and hears his words, but also whether one acts on his teaching. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say, he says. So we hear this teaching, and we just, like the exhortation for you this morning is, go and do likewise. Right? That's it. That, that's the application for you. Go and live like you're supposed to. It, some always, in my preaching, they ask, well, Pastor, could you just give us more to do? But here it is. Here's your list. Get on with it. Let me know how it goes. Okay? We ready for communion? Come back up, Lawrence. No, you don't want me to be done? So how do we do this? How do we live with absurd love, absurd mercy, and experience absurd resilience? Friends, we have to be apprenticed by Jesus. Because the truth is, this absurd way of life is impossible apart from Christ. But it comes with full force to us if we are in him, if we are his followers. He says, but love your enemies, do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Now, some of us spend so much time, I just want to, I want to find myself in Scripture. And so you, you claim stuff. If you want to find yourself in Scripture, underline that. Ungrateful and evil. That's me. That's you when you have eyes to see it. And that's who he's gracious to. That's who he loves. And all I ever ask as a pastor that's not trying to be the blind leading the blind, but somebody else that's committing to following Jesus, all I ever ask is that you just live in response to what you have been given. And that's all that Jesus puts before the crowd on the plane because he goes on, doesn't he? He proves it. He goes on loving his enemies. 
healing those that are unsure, feeding those who want no more than a free lunch from him, the ungrateful and evil, doing good to the haters, sharing a cup with Judas, the one who would betray him, praying for those who mistreat him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The key to Christ's moral teaching in the Sermon on the Plain is Christ in us. You see it from Paul's letter to the Roman church. For a while we were still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood... Will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Glorious truth that makes us citizens of his kingdom. Our only hope then to love our enemies as we are called is to see more clearly how it is God's own character manifested fully in Jesus. For when we were God's enemies, he loved us back into fellowship with himself. We love because he first loved us, John will write. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, lest the blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. By his life, by his death, by his resurrection. Friends, he makes you a good tree. The way of the kingdom, as absurd as it may be, is lived out of what we have been given, what we receive in Jesus. It's lived out of what we embrace. And it's not a checklist that motivates us away from self toward others. It is what is meant to flow out of our overflowing heart. You have a duty to this way of living, but duty will only get you so far. What you need as motivation and fuel for this life is love. You can only give out of what you have received. And as I get older, the more convinced I am that we do not imbibe enough on the love of God for us in Christ. I may lament that we don't see enough of this absurd living from Christians and hopefully the lament starts with my own life. But it's not judgment or condemnation that pushes us into this way of living. It is taking in more of his love for us. At every turn, paying attention to his love for us. Not blocking it out like a pre-flight demonstration, but hearing every announcement that Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. From his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So here's the how. 
from Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces Proven character and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is what makes us hearers and doers. This is what stirs us to action. This is what stirs us and brings us to sacrifice of self, to love and mercy. This is what gives us resilience. And this is why it's so good. Because you get to receive this love and then just dole it out to others. As it's been poured into your heart. Kingdom living is absurd, but it is good. So the real exhortation this morning is to start and stay in the love of the Father for you. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What a beautiful love. What a love for those that are ungrateful and evil. Those that could never deserve And that is a a great truth for evangelism. But it is also for you, the beloved, the citizens of the kingdom. God loves you with a depth that you may never truly understand. That takes all of your experience, all of your sin, all of your distrust, your disbelief, and still washes over you like endless waves of approval, acceptance, and value in Christ. Let this love fill your hearts. Ask the Spirit to pour more of it into you today and every day. Receive it. Rejoice in it. And then just live it out. Boldly embrace this absurd love, mercy, and resilience that is found only in Jesus. Be so filled in Him that it spills out and your enemies are surprised by it. Take this love into all of life and see it bear fruit. This is what Jesus calls us to, invites us in, and empowers us by his spirit to do. One German theologian said, if we fully grasp the sermon and believe it, then nothing can frighten us. Neither our own self-recognition, nor financial threats, nor our personal weakness. The dedication demanded in the sermon is not a new law or moral teaching. Instead, it is forgiveness. Its vital element is the light and warmth of the Holy Spirit. And here is Christ, the essence of salt and the strength of the tree that bears good fruit. The sermon shows us the character of a community which shines light like a light for the world to see. May we hear what Jesus says. May we do it for his glory and our good. May we know how to fasten the seatbelt, to take our oxygen before giving it to others. May we locate our flotation device and sail into the future with Christ. As we close in prayer and prepare for communion, I want to pray the words of Scotty Smith, who this week 
pray. Take our little prayers and mobilize legions of angels. Take our five pieces of bread and two fish and feed multitudes. Replace our fear with faith, our anger with love, and the odor of our self-interest with the aroma of your kingdom. May gospel generosity go viral. So very amen. Lord, we add our words to that prayer and our amens to that. We see that this way of living is difficult, and we don't think that it in some spaces seems appropriate, but in you, you have called us to live it. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would in abundance pour the love of the Father into our hearts, that we would just live from the overflow of that love. You'd equip us to love our neighbors, to pray for those who mistreat us and would prefer our demise, that your kingdom, Jesus, would go forth, that your glory would be known, others would experience the forgiveness and love that comes only from you. Do it in us, in Jesus' name. Amen.